welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with female thought leaders, experts, and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights, and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally, and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. This is episode 21, which means that this podcast, 360 Conversations, is now an adult all over the world. Hooray! Okay, to this episode, I am joined by the wonderful Nicola Washington, otherwise known as Too Much Mothering Information. Nicola is a small business social media consultant and definitely one of the Actually, let me start that again. Nicola is a writer and a social media consultant for small businesses. She is definitely one of the good guys. I think Nicola has one of the most magnificent brains ever. And she uses her brain and her platform for storytelling. She has an ability to challenge oppression in its many guises through her words, but also in a way that gently ushers or sometimes strongly ushers people into introspection that hopefully should lead to action. She also shares the everyday joys of what we can perceive as the mundane because that is where everyday joy lives. This is our second podcast recording. The first was two and a half hours long. Both Nicola and I really love words, but I had to be realistic. Two and a half hours was just far too much, even though it was two and a half hours of quality. In this conversation, Nicola and I talk about racism, discrimination, touch on feminism, and we also delve into this thing about our output equating to our worth, particularly in financial terms and how finance is often used to um, measure success. Uh, We chat about other things too. She makes some brilliant book recommendations and um, it was just a really nourishing conversation. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hey, beautiful people, welcome back to 360 Conversations. I am overjoyed (laughs) about the person I am in conversation with today. She is Nicola Washington on Instagram, known as Too Much Mothering Information. Um, (laughs) Nicola is a writer. She is a writer. She is a digital media, social media manager. I don't quite know the title properly, but she does badass stuff with brands and their communication on social media. And I say this all the time. I love brains. Brains are my thing. Nicola, too much mothering information. If I could marry her brain, I would. I I just want to spend a day in there. No, you don't. I do. I can imagine it will be a bit of a circus, but I would appreciate so much in there. I love your content. I love the things that you talk about, whether you're talking about enjoying the quote unquote mundane to talking about challenging things from white supremacy, 
feminine, like real feminism and all that stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really pleased that we're having this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. And we must be honest, this is our second conversation. It is. <laughs> the first one, we were talking for two and a half hours. Yeah. So Nicola and I have an issue with our love of words and we've got so much to say to each other that it was a great conversation, but two and a half hours. <laughs> it was it was a brunch, wasn't it? Really? It was a brunch we, we without went out the brunch. brunch. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and um, somebody asked me not too long ago about whether or not I pay attention to analytics. And previously I didn't. And that conversation made me have a look at analytics. And I just thought on average, whether it was a, um, even when I did like longer podcasts, because when I first started, I wasn't quite sure. So I was just doing whatever I felt. Um, but when I looked at the stats, people listen in one chunk on average mm. for about an hour. Mm. And, and there's quite a few few people that listen and then come back and listen to the rest so those statistics just made me think okay then let me just try and do a powerful hour um and then people that I have lots of ramblings with we can arrange in real life to meet up and do those bits but let me just uh lean in to what's that's it isn't it it's what's your intention is this just a vanity project that you're just gonna record your conversations or do you actually want to listen to what your audience is saying and what they want as well see what i'm saying (laughs) damn that's the end of the podcast bye (laughs) (laughs) so nicola before i keep going on and on and on for those of you that haven't or the people that haven't come across you if you haven't at too much mothering information now 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 and then come back Um, but for those of um, us that haven't had the opportunity to engage with you and your content please could you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do okay um I suppose starting on social media um I think the three I've been doing some work on this sort of thinking about like what am I doing why am I there um and I think the three things that I really talk about um, our parenthood, motherhood, mm-hmm. um, feminism, and then a smattering. I do sometimes talk about race because my children are, are a mixed race and, you know, I'm invested in learning more about that. But I've actually stepped away from that third one a little bit because I sort of sometimes feel like what I'd rather do is point to other people who, <clears throat> you know, who were talking about it in a first-hand way rather than my second-hand way um so I still do a little bit of that but those are the sort of three things that drive my personal social media platform um and then I also um work as a social media manager for brands but also as kind of like a consultant so I have one one brand who I work for on a monthly retainer um, and that's my bread and butter money and then I supplement that with working with other brands for a shorter shorter amount Mm -hmm. of time and I write and I recently changed my Instagram bio to say writer yeah (laughs) exactly this is how we define ourselves now Um, and I thought no I am a writer and no one's ever paid me that is a goal that I'm working towards Mm -hmm. um no one's ever paid me but I 
I do write and I love writing. And there's that uh, sister act quote. Is it sister act two where she says to Lauren Hill's character, whose name I can't remember, and she says to her, you know, if you wake up every morning and all you can think about is singing, then you are a singer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to, that's me. Yes. Because I all, I've always written, you know, I go back to my childhood and, you know, my mum and dad still have stories and poems um, that I wrote as a child. Aww. So I've always written, yeah, they space don't they trot them out to embarrass me every now and again um so I've always written and so I think no I'm gonna be honest with myself and I'm gonna um you know what's it practice what I preach Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna put out there that this is what I want to do and for a very long time it was something that I felt embarrassed of even admitting of even saying out loud of even saying to myself that no actually I want to be a writer and I've done lots of other things um because I thought those were the kinds of things that someone like me should be doing um and it's you know it's only a I've only said out loud that I want to be a writer for about I don't know three months Mm -hmm. and I've only sort of said in writing that I want to be a writer for maybe a year um but you know even saying it to people no this is what I'm working on this is what I want to do has been a massive step um you know for me which Mm -hmm. it just sounds so trite but it it really has been a big big undertaking yeah very vulnerable you know and to convince myself that I have the right to say that that's been a huge thing this conditioning yeah it's so deep it is before you did this you were a teacher I was yeah for for over a decade for 12 years yeah I was an English teacher and I loved it like I mean you know there were rubbish parts there were rubbish parts to every job but um you know the 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 kids I loved uh you know passionate about kids and giving them um, opportunities and opening their eyes to possibilities um, that otherwise, you know, I thought, well, if if I don't do it and people like me don't do it in, within a school, then there, there's every chance that those children will not understand that they could could do more mm-hmm. um, because what they have around them doesn't suggest that to them. Um, so that side of teaching and working with children, working with young people, I, I really miss all of the political nonsense and the workload is huge. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's a teacher, I just tip my hat to because it is a thankless task <laughs> most of the time. I've <laughs> it's got really two hard. friends that are teachers um one of them always wanted to be a teacher and retrained to become a teacher the other one teaching wasn't on her radar but um she was working in a way that wasn't supportive of her being a mother and she thought she had the skills um so she retrained as a teacher and she was like my goodness I was better off doing what I was doing before because it is relentless and then I'm never away from kids because in the holidays, got my kids. <laughs> got my own, got my own <laughs> yeah, kids. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh gosh, there are things that I want to contain. Let me contain myself. <laughs> um, number one, though, I would say mm. I absolutely love the fact that when you were talking about the things that you do on social media and you talking about race and mm. you kind of scaling back and pointing towards other people, mm. one of the things that pulled me towards you 
are your conversations about race and maybe you're more conscious about pointing people in the right direction your pull for me was not just that there was a or there is a white woman talking about this and you can see that you're really interrogating yourself and really unpacking the layers and realizing that just because you said this today doesn't mean that your job is done that's number one number two you've always and maybe you're doing it more now, even when it was something that you were talking about on a regular basis, you've always pointed people towards people who are having the first-hand experience of racism and the, all the intersections that spring from that. Um, Mm. And I know that um, when Leah and I were actively doing um, Motherhood Reconstructed, whenever we had a flurry, I would think it's it's Nicola. Let me go and see what Nicola's talking about. Because you would say to people, I'm talking about this from the perspective of a mother who's fundamentally raising black children. Yeah. Um, but these are people who have the experience. So go along and see what they're saying. So I think that your brand of conduitive conduitivity uh, <laughs> trademark um, is something that's really, it's a really necessary part of you know, I'm not really comfortable with the term ally. I, I really mm. I don't really like it. But I think it's a really important part of people who are saying that they are about an anti-racist life. Yeah. And my other add-on to that, seeing as I'm here, is that people like you and um, Sarah Gregory mm. really opened up my mind So for me, whilst as a black woman, a black African woman, a black African woman of immigrant parents living in England, having my whole entire lived experience as a minority, but also understanding that white supremacy is far reaching and impacts how my family live in Africa and how they are treated in their um, homeland, um, you also helped me to look outside that um and and Sarah shared a sentence where she said something along the lines of the marker of a society is how they treat their most vulnerable citizens and that really opened up my mind to thinking about the blackness the LGBTQ the ability whether that is seen or not um the the sizeism the the whole shebang because yeah. i really firmly believe whilst i wouldn't dishonor myself by trying to do that kind of things like when i'm talking about black black lives mattering well what about our lives there are like you know people that have these issues whilst it's not about murky like you know diluting what i'm saying in that way um for me, your work really opened up my eyes to other issues. Mm. Um, and the fact that if you're standing up for uh, equality, then that is for me across the board. So thank you. Yeah, well, well, thank you. I mean, yeah. I just feel like the last, I don't know how long, two, three years, especially, it's been one of those um times in my life where I've I've noticed one thing and just noticing that one thing has then opened my eyes to a hundred others um and once you like you say once you start interrogating one thing and one sort of structure of uh, control and oppression and uh, you start to notice that actually these things 
pop up and overlap all over the place Mm -hmm. um Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and it's uh, you know trying to get other people to notice. Um, you know, I don't want to teach people about themselves and tell people about themselves. I, I you know I want people to notice, to mm-hmm. take notice, mm-hmm. and 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 to you know then interrogate whether or not that's a world they want to live in uh, for themselves. Like that, that's always you know what I'm what I, I like to do and and when people say to me you know you've really opened my eyes and I'm like okay, okay well now go and take that further like I, you know I'm, I appreciate that you're saying to me I, I've never thought of this okay now you have now go and yeah. run with it like you don't need me um go off and be it it's not about me I don't need you know your thanks I don't need any of that I mm-hmm. want you to go off and 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 you know what what do you say lean in yeah Yeah, lean into that and and just accept that the world isn't fair as much as we would like it to be um there are a multitude of different ways in which people are um marginalized and to accept that and to sort of hold your hands up and say and I know those things don't affect me, doesn't make you intrinsically at fault or intrinsically exactly. a bad person. This is the way the world works. And if you can't get over your ego to just see that this is the way the world works and it's not about you, um, then, you know, that's a, I find that really a real problem. And, mm. and I, I don't mind talking to people who, you know, have no idea. And I don't mind sort of pointing them in the right direction. And, and because I think that that's where I started from not that long long ago mm-hmm. um I get very frustrated with people who when once presented with a whole bunch of information then just refuse to engage and refuse to accept and worst case scenario see it as a direct attack on them as a person and you know and, and I think no you've got to get over that ego mm-hmm. um and see it for what it is and, and yeah so you know it started for me with race um you know soon uh, soon after I had our daughter who's now six and that was when I really started to engage with the conversation around race um and yeah and it's just kind of mushroomed from there Mm -hmm. because that conversation just opened my eyes to just how many other conversations there were that were going that, that were going on and how you know while I struggle with being a woman and you know I'm a feminist and I'm very aware of the structures that operate in order to hold me back and keep me in my place I'm also very conscious that that I experience a, a, a fraction of mm-hmm. what other people experience because I'm white um, and because I'm able-bodied and because I'm heterosexual so all of these things prote- protect me actually and there's nothing wrong with saying that. Like, I'm, I'm still saddened that we live in a world where people are offended mm. by people saying things literally like, I'm aware that I benefit from these things because I am white. It's like you mm. shouldn't even say mm. you are white, you know. Mm. And I just think it's, it, it's so true about that ego piece. Because mm. let's be really, really real. In anything that we have... Um, learnt or been able to uh, overcome or grow through it has been through being uncomfortable 
when we were at school, it wasn't comfortable learning, relearning, realizing that you don't understand and then revising. But yeah. once you sailed, well, not sailed, but once you trudged through that discomfort, you mm. were then able to sit down, do that exam paper and get your GCSEs. Mm. I think it, we need to think about it as simply as that. And yes, we cannot ignore the fact that if you are white, you benefit from a system that is underpinned by white supremacy and a, a system that says that white people are at the top, top of the totem pole. But it doesn't mean that we're saying that you are a racist person. Everything that you do has a negative impact on yeah. a marginalised person or person of colour. But when you realise that, it may be things like, at the moment, for example, I'm having huge issues with this whole notion of um shop independent and Mm. um shop small and you know people who are the ambassadors of small business trotting around independent is the new black but I can't see any Mm. black in what you're doing I can't see any Mm -hmm. brown in what you're doing you've done loads and loads of podcasts and you've got like one black person in however many podcasts you've done um you've got a shop in London I can't see that you're stocking anything from a person of color and you're the retail um ambassador whilst I'm not saying that that is happening because your whoever it is is racist what mm. I am saying is because you haven't checked yourself mm. because you haven't been in a position where you have had to check yourself you're operating in an echo chamber so mm. everything that you're doing you're just looking for what's easiest and what's closest which invariably is what looks like you so where yeah. is the diversity where is the inclusion yeah. where is the going outside your comfort zone to seek what else there is and that can fuel your ecosystem that's right and i think that's you've just hit the nail on the head when you talked about what's easy um it's complicated as soon as you start to notice this stuff and as soon as you start to question it and um, start to really think about, well, what do I stand for and why do I stand for it? It gets complicated. Like There are no simple, straightforward answers. Um, and I think people just don't want to bother themselves with that la- level of complexity because ultimately they're part of that, a part of their privileges that they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people get very, oh, hurt, offended, you know, very sensitive about it being pointed out to them because they feel like it's an attack on them personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And they go, you know, go to great pains to prove you wrong, that this isn't the case. And it's, well, okay, before you just leap to the defense, you know, is there any truth in what is being said to you? And this isn't, you know, like you say, this is not about moral absolutism. This is not about saying you're not doing this, that means therefore you are a bad person. This is about, acknowledging that there are systems at play that are both personal and structural Mm -hmm. and that half the time we don't even know we're going on um, within ourselves you know the whole idea of unconscious or um, I call it unconscious bias but I think the correct name is implicit bias Mm -hmm. the whole idea of that I don't think you know that's only something that I've seen being talked about in even close to a mainstream way in the last I don't know 12 months two Mm -hmm. years it's always Mm -hmm. been quite an academic Mm -hmm. conversation um so there are lots and lots and lots of people who've just never even come across that idea um so as soon as you challenge them their immediate response is to defend Mm -hmm. um and i think we also have a problem 
with people's and I think that um you know <laughs> not that I really want to talk about this too much but the Liam Neeson thing was a classic case in point where as soon as you say something is racist everyone is more offended by well not everyone I shouldn't say that white people in general are more offended by the idea of being of being called cool. racist or someone that they relate to being called re- racist than they are about the actions that have actually taken place but we you know we all live in the same pots mm-hmm. you know we're all we're all um subject to the same influences you know the the very high up influences so the idea that you can somehow escape being racist when we live in a racist world mm-hmm. it's is just mind-blowing uh, it's not, it's it's mind-blowing and it really speaks to people just wanting to avoid accountability and wanting to avoid complexity um and and you know and it's something yeah i get i get frustrated i get frustrated by people's lack of willingness to open their eyes i understand people having their eyes closed in the first place because if that's all you've known then why would you yeah. question it um but yeah, once someone's opened your eyes to then just retreat into defence, um, I think is really sad. And it's such a lost opportunity, actually, because mm-hmm. if you listened, you could learn. And actually, your business, if we're talking, taking this back to a business perspective, your business would get stronger. Opening your eyes to this stuff is never going to make your business weaker. Absolutely. Like, this is the stuff that I'm always like, but I don't understand why you're so resistant. Yeah. This is going to make your business stronger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but there's lots of research and statistics that talk about yeah. companies becoming um, more successful financially um, and not just, you know, the traction that it gets in the media, but their yeah. bottom line being positively impacted by diversity, inclusion and actually you know embracing difference difference because you know if people come from different backgrounds and come from different uh, cultures and influences they're going to bring different ideas to the table and that surely that can only be a good thing if you've got 12 white middle class boys from Essex sitting around a table in a boardroom coming up with ideas they're coming up with the same ideas because that is their point of reference and they all have the same point of reference so I'm always confused by this resistance um, to the idea of inclusion mm-hmm. and um, dr- diversity drives because I think this makes your business stronger. Like mm-hmm. if nothing else, if you can't even accept the human element that this is just the right thing to do, then you can't deny the business argument that this is going to make your business better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I get I do get annoyed. I do mm. get annoyed. I try not to get annoyed because, like I say, not very long ago, I didn't understand most of this. It was just not something I'd given very much thought to. Um, so it's, you know, but but once presented with the opportunity to think about it, and once presented with ideas and experiences that started, uh, you know, that sort of provoked me to start questioning things, um, I, I just realised, wow, there is a, there is a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a lot mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of it, stuff that unless we make a mindful and conscious decision to investigate it most of it will just carry on influencing our lives um without us even being aware of it yeah which to me sounds like a really rubbish way to live yeah 
exactly that it it, it is it totally is a rubbish way to live because you know really humans being humans you cannot well I don't believe it is possible to live in the um most uh joyful way when you know that other people are suffering unnecessarily and even with the concept of implicit bias Mm. we're human beings we know when something isn't great and we know when something isn't great we just don't want it for ourselves and I think that you know I can't remember what her name is Jane something the lady that does a lot of anti-racism work in um, America there was there's a clip that goes round about her where she's in a room um, doing a uh, program or whatever a session with um, a group of white people in America and she says to them that thing about um, race uh, racism um, about not being aware of it and then she says to them would you want to be treated the way that black people Mm. are treated in America and nobody puts their hand up so I think even with implicit bias we all know what time it is and so what I think is even if you are benefiting you cannot be living in your best truest life when in the back of your mind you know that there are people that are suffering because of your action or inaction yeah yeah so Nicola how do you with with the work that you do around um feminism around Mm. you know racial inequality and all that sort of stuff how how do you stay well how do you not carry that with you Um, Mm. and I ask this because with motherhood reconstructed we started that as a place to amplify the voice experience and own the narrative of black British motherhood but as our motherhood reconstructed journey progressed what we observed is that we would get a lot of traction when we were highlighting racial inequality something that was making us not feel good and operating in ways where it was like we were battling the system Mm -hmm. but when we shared stuff which was literally about joy joyfulness about our experiences the kind of ordinary aspects of black British motherhood that we Mm. don't see because quite often black British motherhood equals struggle Mm. nobody well not Mm. nobody that's an exaggeration but people weren't as weren't as interested in that as they were the um battle and that's Mm. black people included Mm. um so I felt one weighed down by the fact that um people were only tuning in to the struggle and two by the fact that people were often highlighting struggle for us to share that and three that people just weren't tuned into the joy so it was multifaceted it was the racism in itself and the um sexism within itself the hardship that comes with parenting yeah that, that was one aspect then the other pull that you're saying that these things are really difficult sometimes we as black people are counting ourselves out of spaces because we're not seeing ourselves or because of the narratives we're presenting ourselves we're presented with but when we're offering an alternative it's not really being received Mm. so that that aside how how do you stop that from seeping into Nicola's life life yeah 
I mean, from the point of view of race, I think, and, you know, in talking about race and engaging <clears> with that, obviously I don't live it. So, you know, walking down the street, I'm not dealing with that on a day-to-day and hour-to-hour basis. So when I talk about it and then deal with the inevitable <laughs> question marks that I get, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's in a time frame. So dealing with that, and, yeah. it's, and, you know, and I always think, my God, just dealing with it in this very tiny time frame is exhausting Mm. um and it just it it actually reconfirms why I feel so strongly about it because actually I think well if I was living that how much harder it would be if I find this hard Mm. imagine living that and having to you know daily hourly pick your battles choose your battles like and and, you know questioning yourself because you know people gaslight me I like think I you know I question myself and I think Am I am I getting this wrong? Like, am I misinterpreting this situation? And so I think, you know, but that is not part of my day to day existence. So I get I get a buy, I get a pass just yeah. <laughs> because I'm white. Yeah. So from that point of view, I don't. I, I do think that um, it doesn't. It just can't. It just is never going to impact as 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 significantly on me as mm-hmm. it would on you and mm-hmm. on Leah when you know when you're running motherhood reconstructed or or anyone else who's moving in that space and having those conversations. Um, but it does weigh heavy that knowledge that for whatever reason there are people who are um, marginalised and who are oppressed um, because the just you know the unfairness of it is not something that I find easy to brush over mm-hmm. um, we always joke that I have an overdeveloped fairness bone um, <laughs> and it's actually a family trait um, so it's it's something that's been passed down to me that injustice really um, enrages me injustice of pretty much any kind and so I have to keep that under control or I would think I would live in a permanent state of rage mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I suppose I try to be clear. And this is a this is a, uh, a process. Like, this is not something I've perfected. And it's not, um, you know, and it's only, I think, only been relatively recently that I've kind of got to grips with this on any level at all. I think I've, been, I've spent a very long time feeling guilty. And I think I've spent a very long time feeling like I shouldn't enjoy my life and I shouldn't welcome moments of joy. Um, and I shouldn't, um, and I should, you know, embrace the struggle in a way, you know, things like mental health struggles. I've had, I've had those I've had, um, you know, postnatally, I was mentally very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even looking back into my 20s um, and into my teenage years, I can see with the benefit of hindsight how my mental health actually has never been as good as I feel it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been a process. And I think part of that process has been coming to terms with the life I have and appreciating it and and not feeling like not having to struggle somehow invalidates my experiences or somehow invalidates my opinions or the ideas that I have the the fact that they don't come from a place of um oppression on the scale that other people experience doesn't mean I don't have anything valid to say and it doesn't mean that I should live in this permanent state of guilt 
And the other thing I learned relatively recently um, is that guilt makes everything about you. So how can I try to work um, in the ways that I work? Because I do wish I could do more, but, you know, that hopefully will come Mm -hmm. in time. But how can I work on the things that I want to work on and, and put ideas out in the world that I hope you know, help in some way. How can I do that if um, I'm still feeling guilty and so therefore I'm still making it all about me? So I think, well, like, what's the point in me feeling guilty? It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't further anything. It just leaves me stuck in a moment in time thinking about myself and how terrible I feel (laughs) and it's like well this is completely counterproductive and it's contradictory to what I say I want to do and I'm trying to do and the things I believe in so it makes no sense it just keeps you suspended it does it does and and also um I what am I going to do am I going to um you know remove myself from my family am I gonna um insist that Ray sells the house and we go and live on the streets like like like, how far do we have to go because actually if if you follow that train of thought where you say well I'm not oppressed enough therefore I um should feel guilty if you follow that train of thought, well, what are you going to do about it? You're going to exactly. make yourself more oppressed? That's crazy. That's Absolutely. crazy talk. And actually realizing the value that you have in, in your life, that I have in, in this life, in, in my life. Um, and I think how insulting as well to people who are having struggles that I somehow think this is such a small thing that I could give it up easily exactly I will deprive myself and that will make you and your deprivation feel whole a whole lot better no, yeah bloody well won't. no it won't no and it won't make me feel better no. either because no. then I'm in a crappy situation exactly. and I'm not in a position to help anybody at that point exactly um, because now I'm surviving yeah um so I, I think as well the, the thing about um guilt it is very egotistical. It is very, mm. very selfish because the other thing that guilt does as well as uh, it massages your egos and your ego in yeah. so many ways, because yeah. it also says you're not really a quote unquote bad person yeah. because you know better and you yeah. feel bad, which means that you're not this bad person. Right, yeah. Actually, whilst you're sitting down in your guilt, not doing anything, you are upholding whatever mm. it is you're feeling guilty about. It's so, like a it's like a kind of martyrdom, isn't it? Yeah. Really. Yeah. I'm gonna martyr myself yes. to this cause. Yeah. And it's like, well that ultimately helps nobody. It doesn't further. I'm a anything. good person, I'm a nice yeah. person, that wasn't my intention. Sorry if you felt yeah. that way. Yeah. Actually, let's start being and doing rather yeah. than acting. Yeah. yeah. But thinking about struggle, mm. I want to um so, so we've we've had numerous conversations. Bloody hell, this uh, podcast is going to make people think that I just spend my entire life in Instagram DMs talking to people. Uh, <laughs> we do, don't we? I know, I was going to say, which may or may not be true. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about that um, guilty 
feeling for having a good life because mm-hmm. there was a spate of time where all of a sudden all these people on uh, Instagram who were living a really lovely life yeah. were then justifying their lovely life yeah. by saying I used to live in a council flat or I live in a council yeah. flat or I, when I grew up I had holes in my shoes and all of this kind yeah. of stuff which came across as really patronising yeah. but that's not what I'm talking about what I'm t- talking about is the conversations we've had about the fact that we've been conditioned mm. to feel that life should be a struggle mm. and if you're not struggling it's not worthy and um noble mm. um and we just get hoodwinked into feeling that we've got to be trudging through the mud yeah. for anything to be worthwhile and what yeah. i'm starting to realize more and more so is that Mm, that, that's not actually true like for me I feel like I, I'm blaming everything at the moment on the industrial revolution I feel yeah. like it was a byproduct of the industrial everything. revolution yeah because <laughs> when you think that you're yeah. only noble and you're only worth something if you're really working hard for somebody else mm-hmm. and somebody else is acknowledging the work you're doing and they're saying because you've done all of this hard work for me I'm going to give you 10 pounds mm-hmm. extra a week or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. you then start to believe that if you're creating something from a place of joy and a place of, let's say, ease, it's not as mm-hmm. worthy and therefore yes. you shouldn't be talking about it. And, and that's sort of stuff that we've talked about. It is, yeah. Because we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're saying, uh, let's say, for example, today I decided that I'm not going to work this morning because I'm going to go and see my daughter's play. It was absolutely fantastic. And I'll probably end up working till two o'clock in the morning. But mm. I'm really pleased that I've created a life where I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I'm hearing here is in that you are working in a way that suits you so that you're able to do things that support your life and your, your role as a yeah. mom. But lots of people will hear that and think, oh, bloody hell, she's showing off. Yeah, not yeah. listening to that part mm. where you're saying I'm going to be working until X time, and yeah. again, me sharing that is falling into that thing. Like you've got to couch your joy in yeah. where you're going to be making up for it. How are you challenging yourself <clears throat> to let go of that programming mm. so that you're not feeling like I'm not doing anything because actually my life yeah. is quite nice. My whole life has been about working hard. And getting validation from doing jobs really, really well. Um, You know, going right back to um, being at school, um, you know, doing well academically. um, Not really valuing it, that academic success, just sort of, but, but doing it, you know, it felt like that was what I had to do. And, you know, and my family, my parents are both working class and they very much have that working class work ethic of you just just work hard just you just work hard just get your head down and you work hard and it's great like you know I go I don't I'm not advocating people just sitting around and expecting things yeah. to be handed to yeah. them for nothing yeah um but it is a mentality I suppose that attaches all of your supposed value and supposed worth to your economic output you know your financial worth like how much are you working for a company how much money are you therefore making for that company Mm -hmm. so it it, you know it all becomes part of this idea that the only way in which what you do has value is if it's making money um and that 
definition of success is one that I still sort of battle with. Um, you know, I still have days and moments where I think I should be doing more and earning more and chasing more. Um, and then I have to remember that actually what the, all the other stuff that I do has immense value. It just doesn't make money. Mm-hmm. Um, raising my children in a way that I'm happy with, because I think that's it. Like, you know, you, what perhaps uh, we were, I was talking with some friends about this last night that you, you look at your parents and it, it, when I look at everyone I know, it almost feels like you become your parents or you're the opposite. You're yes. like so, so opposite to them. Um, and I look at my parents and I'm very similar. You know, my setup is very, very similar to theirs. And I'm parenting in a way that is familiar to me because it's how, you know, how my family was set up. And that's important to me. And if, if, you know, if you think about the definition of success, I'm not successful because I'm prioritizing <clears throat> raising my children. But um, the value that that has, and actually, and I have a real issue with mothers being called economically inactive if they're not working as well as um, parenting. Um, because I'm like, economically inactive? Aren't, aren't our children, I mean, to, to be kind of industrial about it, aren't our children the workforce of the future? If we do a crappy job raising them, then, you know, like, we're stuffed. Absolutely. When we need our pensions paid. <laughs> so you yeah. tell me who's yeah. economically yeah. inactive. Yeah. Like, we're, we're an investment. We're yeah. not economically yeah. active. And if you're living in a two-parent household, mm. quite often your economic inactivity is supporting the person yeah. that is going out to work yeah. to Absolutely. be able to do that. It's and facilitating it's that. It's facilitating yeah. that. And, yeah. and that, that is not to be sniffed at. And, no. um, a, a, a book that I keep referencing is um, Thrive by Arianna Huffington. And she talks about thriving being the fourth metric to success, that we have to move away from this narrative mm-hmm. of thinking that success is economic output and, and material gain. And, the, and, that and it has to be stressful and it has to be a struggle. And you should be at the point, you know, on the edge of burnout all of the time. Yeah. Like it, it is just, I mean, and I have these conversations with my partner because he works incredibly hard and he's still rooted in that definition of success. Um, and, you know, he's in lots of ways, he's not a traditional man, but in lots of other ways he really is. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the ways in which he is a very traditional um, man that that is what you do. You, mm-hmm. you, you chase, you provide, you chase wealth, you chase yeah. status. Yeah. Um, and these are the things that will bring security and happiness. And this, uh, you know, but it doesn't bring happiness. You're too tired. You can't enjoy it. You're too tired. But you know, my, my truth, and it's something that, uh, it's my truth and it's something that I need to interrogate more. That definition of manliness I find it hugely attractive, (laughs) not because I'm saying that I want to lean on you. I want to be able to be a lady, what brunches and lunches Mm. and all of that kind of stuff, because I do like to earn my own money and do what I'm doing and have my own freedom. But 
yeah. <laughs> it's about purpose. I think I feel like it's about purpose. Yeah. It's about I could not be around people who don't seem to have purpose. Like I Forget find that it. it's a real like, turn off. It's such a turn off. Like in friends, male, female, exactly. Like who, yeah. are, who are male, Whoever. female yeah. friends? Yeah. Um, you know, like relationship. I mean, I've, we and Ray have been together sixteen years, so there's not many other relationships that I can reference. Yeah. But you know, if, if people don't have purpose, I find it very difficult. I to, find it so dull. Relate to them, yeah. Um, so I don't, I, I don't feel like I mind uh, what that purpose might be necessarily, and, and how much money it might earn. You know, I, and I, and again, I'm talking from a place of privilege because we have all of our economic, our financial needs met. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, our basic needs are covered, mm-hmm. and then some. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're comfortable. Mm-hmm. So perhaps it's easy for me to sort of dismiss the importance of that and say, actually, I'd rather dial that back slightly mm-hmm. and for us to find other ways of finding value in our lives. Um, you know, and I, and I think, yeah, it's all right for me to sit here and talk about finding value in things that don't earn money yeah. because I know I've got Ray to fall back on yeah. who's earning the money, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I, I, accept, I access and I see all of those complexities mm-hmm. in the whole mm-hmm. question but I you know I still question everything's relative so it even within relative. that you yeah. know I'm, I'm I'm a single person starting a business yeah. I do some social work consultancy because I don't have somebody to cover the basics yeah. um, because I'm, I'm starting something but I can still appreciate that it's all relative and yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day who is a single person that has started a business and we were talking about that kind of struggle and she described it as having um, feeling like she's in fight or flight mode with money and mm. I was like oh my goodness that is literally what I'm experiencing mm. and that is why I will not let go of my consultancy until 360 is able to sustain my daughter and I and build and build and build but what yeah. I'm having to do is constantly work on myself so that I don't lean on that cushion of money and don't yeah, make and don't put, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I can still appreciate the fact that you are saying what you're saying and yeah. I'm not thinking oh yeah well it's all right for you because you've got a husband or partner that's making loads of money I think that we need to move away because in part that's a bit like um comparison we need to move away like yeah let me appreciate what you're saying because it's what you're saying for you it doesn't mean that you're casting aspersions elsewhere and I suppose what underpins all of it is the question that I just have is how much money is enough money like because you know I imagine everybody will have a different answer to that and when you have covered your basic needs um you know a roof over your head food on the table clothes on your back shoes on your feet and your kids feet you know once you've covered those basic needs how much money is enough money what you know what how much freedom do you feel like you need to have and then there's this counterweight of actually the harder you work to earn that money the less freedom exactly. you end you end up with yeah. in some in some ways. Yeah. Um, so how much? Yeah, always that question: like, how, how much, much money is enough? Is enough it, how much is enough? Like, what sort of lifestyle are you trying to sustain, and why? And why? Yeah. So I'm I'm reading this book at the moment called Your Money or Your Life, and in there there is a graph that talks about um, sort of the uh, climb up to having enough and enough and so the climb up to having enough in this particular diagram is very steep Mm. and then the part of the diagram where you're on that even keel of enough is very short and then there's a very steep drop off because once you have more than enough 
it can the the bounty can become mm. very oppressive mm. if you don't have a purpose for this mm. enough and yeah. so after doing a podcast episode with Paula Perry where she was talking about giving your money purpose I sat down and thought okay what kind of life do I want why do I want this kind of life what will I do with this life so I sat down I did my googles so I looked at the type of house that I want to have and in my mind, I was thinking about all those kind of like life coachy sort of things where they're like, it should be bigger, it should be beyond your wildest dream and all of that. And I just thought, Tamu, shove all of that to the side, think about what it is that you want. Yeah. So I went on to Right Move. I looked at the sort of house I want, um, where I live, and I looked at, um, so I didn't know you could get all of this information, so I went on to... Um, uh, utilities to find out approximately what the gas, the electricity, the water rates, the council tax. I literally listed all of that to see what my basic needs would be living yeah. in this way. So I would find out what, and the basic needs for me, a basic need includes the clubs that my daughter goes to holidays and all that kind of stuff because they enable me to live life in a way that I want to. So I listed all of the, and I know that basic needs are different for different people. Yeah, I listed all of that. So I have a figure of what I need to earn in order to have enough. And my mm-hmm. basic needs also includes giving. So there are projects that I'm interested in. There are relatives in Sierra Leone that I would like to support with um, school fees and all of that kind of stuff. So that yeah. was all included. And I thought, right, that's my figure. That's what I need to work towards. So I now have a purpose for that. It's not just because I want to buy all these lovely things um because even with that I do want to buy lovely things but I don't want to buy all these lovely things because I don't need it exactly and again it just goes to that why doesn't it like when I want to go and spend money like why do I feel that urge what is it that that has me desiring you know an adidas I've been looking at Adidas tracksuits. I've got an Adidas tracksuit. My sister bought it for me for Christmas. I've worn it a couple of times and people are like, oh my goodness, where's that tracksuit from? So I was like, right, yeah. I need more Adidas tracksuits. Thank you very much. And I need Adidas trainers to go with the Adidas tracksuits because you can't wear night trainers with an Adidas tracksuit. No. <laughs> so I'm like, well, okay. And and, the, and it does get, it just get bonkers. Adidas, and if I you do. want to sponsor me, I'm open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> and it does get crazy like and I sometimes think god you know you said earlier you would like to spend a day in my brain and you said I imagine it's a circus it is it's an absolute circus there it's like what's that um Cirque du Soleil kind of circus I'm talking oh oh, yeah maybe (laughs) maybe not that graceful (laughs) elephants tramping around it's a lot yeah yeah there's a there's a lot there's a lot more jerkiness happening um and one of the, you know, I think, God, am I just overthinking this? And I'm like, no, I have a real problem being accused of overthinking because overthinking doesn't lead me to paralysis. Overthinking leads me to making good decisions. Um, <laughs> I think if, I think, Marry me right I think now. if, I think if people overthink to the point of paralysis, that's a problem. Yeah. I just think a lot and I don't and feel I like it. I'm overthinking things because I just feel mm. like it makes me, it, 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 it takes time and sometimes it gets a bit much and I have to do things to get myself out of my own head. Um, but it, I, 
I think I make good decisions because of that trait. Um, but yeah, the, the Adidas tracks it. I might be overthinking <laughs> that. <laughs> Just get it. Just get it. Just get the down track It's, it's going to bring you so much joy. I'm telling you now. Well, I'm gonna, I, I'm yeah. gonna take your yeah. advice. I'm gonna buy myself a tracksuit. <laughs> so, oh gosh, I've, I've still got my list. Um, I'm yeah. just gonna go to one more thing because we haven't covered my list, but we weren't supposed <laughs> to. We've covered so much more, and it's been beautiful. But I want to talk to you about um, res- resistance to. We, we, we talked about it, but I want to just talk about it a little bit more. So we had a conversation about resistance to joy and about mm. us couching our joy because yeah. of how people react to it. And I was just yeah. like, people are programmed for misery. So yeah. we just, our joy, joy can be mistaken for, actually, do you know what? Scrap that. We're not going to go there because we've kind of covered that already. What I want to talk about is conversations that have spawned from joy Mm. to you it feels like actively talking about um the kind of mundane because Mm. platforms like instagram um can lead you to believe that things are only worth sharing if it's like heightened this is so great or oh my god this is so terrible that the ordinary that we exist within yeah. We don't talk about it. And for me, I really love seeing you talking about ordinary things. Like mm-hmm. that, that post that you shared, your, your last picture in your old house. Yeah. I really love that because for me, in that ordinary in which we exist, that is where everyday joy is. Mm-hmm. Everyday joy is not on the top of that hill in Malibu. It is not in that spa in wherever. Because, because those things aren't sustainable exactly they don't they're a moment and they're a brilliant moment and you absolutely should aim for them if that's what lights your fire but they're not sustainable and if you if those are the only if you if those are think the things that you pin your joy to how are you going to live a joyful life? It's like crack, life? you're going to be constantly chasing your next yeah. high. So yeah. when people talk about, I know that there's a very mild difference between happiness and contentment. Mm. For me, contentment is that everyday joy. It's mm. mine. It's within mm. my gift. It's within my gift. And, and there's a happiness pop- happens. Yes, yes, that's right. And there's a calmness to that everyday yes. joy. Yes. There's, a, there's a, a levelness and a calmness and a peace that comes with it. And it's not about those moments of huge excitement and huge achievements. And I'm not, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm being critical of people who have goals and people who achieve big things. Of course I'm not like, yeah, I've got them. go for it, do yeah. it. Like, you know, yeah. I'm happy for you. I yeah. want you to achieve those things. But also I've realized that my life right now doesn't lend itself to me chasing big things. Because I've got other, I've got other priorities right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not forever, but right, right now, now, now. Exactly. yeah. And and it's just about being honest and accepting that, and also planning for a future that I know will be different. Yeah. Um, and just realizing that 
I can fall into that trap of looking at people's achievements, especially on social media, when every day you're bombarded with these big things mm-hmm. that people are doing mm-hmm. and you look at them. And I I learned a long time ago, thanks to Ray in, in the main, um, to be happy for other people yeah. and not to look at them and think, why have they got that? Yeah. But to look at them and think, okay, that stab of jealousy might come from a place where that's actually what I want. Yes. And that's what, that's why I feel this, yeah. this horrible, you yeah. know, horrible feeling yeah. isn't because they don't deserve it. It's because it's what I want yeah. as well. Um, so I can now look at people and those huge achievements and be happy for them and, you know, think, God, that's amazing. And look what you're doing. And it's incredible. And there's still that voice that says, Oh, well, I sort of wish that's what I was doing. I wish that was me. I wish I had these huge announcements to make to the world where, you know, and then I can get that feedback and that validation and those, you know, all that warm, glowy stuff. But then you also realize that those things are a moment. And, I, you know, I, I only recently sort of put it in these terms, which is that achievements are, are a moment in time and they stay there. And they, you know, and you might have a memento, an award or something like that. You might have a memento of those achievements and things that um, you get to keep to remind you of that. But actually, that's still a moment in time that exactly. you've left. And are you left prepared behind. to do what they did to get that moment? And this is the other thing. <laughs> there are people that I look at and I think, wow, like I want to be talking about those things. I want to be talking about those things on that kind of platform. And then I also look at the darker side of what they have to put up with and the you know how vulnerable they've ended up being because of the of the platform that they've gained and i think actually that is not i don't want that so if one automatically comes with the other then i've got to think very carefully about what i wish for yeah. um, and what i work towards yeah. because you know you've got to look at it in the round you can't just look at it uh, on a two dimensional from a two dimensional viewpoint of what you see from the outside and these huge achievements so yeah so there's that there's that element of kind of knowing actually what it is you're getting yourself into before you start to want it yeah. before you start to chase it yeah. but also there is this thing that those achievements are are, are a moment in time that passes and then you're back to your life. And life is just not a, an everyday s- sort of series of huge events. And if you pin all of your enjoyments and self-worth and happiness and to those, all of that, all of that stuff that ultimately um, will mean you can feel joy in your life or not, um, if you pin them to those big things, then you're going to spend, I don't know, 95% of your life feeling pretty miserable exactly, <laughs> and, and, un, and unable to see what you've got actually right in front exactly. of you. I mean, and, and, and it's training, and you know what it's training. You have to teach yourself to do this. And, and that doesn't mean you won't ever fall into the traps of comparison and feeling miserable. <clears throat> like I said, you know, I, I can go on social media and I can beat myself up about what everybody else seems to be doing and the things I'm not invited to and the things I'm not included with, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of that stuff. I can do that. Um, But I can also pick myself up after, you know, maybe an hour or two or a day or two of of wallowing. I can pick myself up and I can look at my life and I can say, actually, this is joy. The other day, my son um, got up from the table. We were eating lunch and he got up from, he said, he always goes, I need to go to the toilet. 
and that's his and he just like leapt up from it I need to go he's, he's four so mm-hmm. I need to go in the toilet and he leapt up and he the toilet door was shut and he opened the toilet door from himself and I just like was that sat there and I said I said to me I said that this is one of those moments yes he, he can now open we don't have to stand up yeah and and go and open the door for him like, and it was just such a tiny thing but you would have but missed it, that if you were yeah. so focused on I haven't got I've got to do I've got to yeah. oh my gosh this goal yeah yeah and and I just think you know and it it I don't know it lightened my mood that day um, and then, then just minutes later, I remember this because it was such a, a dark, I'd had just a bleak morning and, um, and I'm sort of in my own head about various things. And, and then, you know, a few minutes later, I ran up the stairs. Now, a year ago, I would have struggled to run up a flight of stairs, um, you know, postnatally, my mm-hmm. body was just, and had been for a long time, just so depleted and mm-hmm. so weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to do yoga regularly uh, at home mm-hmm. using a home practice on mm-hmm. YouTube um, so in August. And the difference that has made to my physical strength. And now I find that I can do things. And I notice afterwards that I've just done that effortlessly. And, and it's something that I know I couldn't have done 12 months ago. And so those little things I have... I, it sounds so um, preachy, but I have tra- I have trained myself to notice, and it, and like I said, it takes training, it takes discipline Absolutely. to say no. I am going to notice these good yeah. things, and I um, am and going to pat myself on the back yeah. and say, "Well done." Because I've taken action that, you know, and I can feel proud yes. of those steps that yeah. I've taken and yeah. that I've stuck to it and that I've been disciplined on some level. And, you know, self-discipline is something that I, is one of my voices that creeps in, you know, that the, the, mm-hmm. those horrible voices yeah. that I'm not disciplined yeah. enough and all yeah. of that, you know, all of yeah. that stuff always there no 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 no. even when I was working 14 15 hours a day I was a day as a teacher not self-disciplined enough not if you if you had more disciplined you'd get more done exactly exactly. in those sorts of professions because teaching social work is very similar what would really piss me off was what it was like a double punch of piss Mm. off so on the one hand (laughs) trademark oh my god exactly (laughs) double punch of piss off tm (laughs) On the one hand, it would be that I haven't been able to do this thing because I was doing all of these things. Yeah. And my manager would trot out some shit about time management. Oh God. And I'd be enraged yeah. because I'd be like, you know what I was doing last yeah. week. You yeah. know that my daughter had to stay at my mum's however many nights last week because I was going from court to pick up children, to place them in foster care, to go back to court and all of that kind of caper. Then mm. the double punch would be, then I would start to think if I had managed my time better, if maybe yeah. I had at my lunch in the car rather than eating my lunch in the court in the cubby little horrible office in in the courtroom maybe if I'd done that I would have had 20 minutes more then I would have been able to do this if I'd just written up that Mm. case note on my phone emailed Mm. it to myself to work I could have cut and pasted it in the system then it would be up there and I had to like really get to a point where I was like no and Mm. even the transition to from employee to freelancer and then from freelancer to entrepreneur it has been a real, real mindset shift. So mm-hmm. there was, I, w- I had a podcast conversation with um, Natalie Costa, which was an absolutely beautiful conversation. And I spoke to her 
I think I did one episode, one podcast recording in the morning, one in the afternoon, and I edited a podcast episode. I was on a high. Mm. Ordinarily, I wouldn't have congratulated myself for that because I really enjoy this work. I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I would have felt it wasn't worthy of doing that. I was so high. I picked up my daughter from school and she was like, mommy, what's going on? And I was like, bloody hell, like all this was because I congratulated myself for doing work that was joyful. So then yeah. I, I thought, okay, it's not just because I did two recordings and I edited something. Let me look at what else I can congratulate myself for. Yeah. So the next day it was literally, I had been dithering about with an email for so long, I just sent it. Somebody asked me to um, complete some questions for their blog thingy. And because I write, you know, we love words, we write mm-hmm. loads. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh gosh, I've got to give her all this stuff. And I was like, Tammy, you don't need to give her all this stuff. You just need to get it done. So I did those two things and that was enough. Mm. And I celebrated that. And it just really made me rethink how I value Mm. my work and not having to, it doesn't have to be some massive, great big thing for me to say well done. And me telling myself well done is fuel. Like some people worry that it's going to make them complacent. Mm. No, it's literally like, and it's not, competition with myself I did all of this yesterday so I've got to do that today because I know there are some days when I'm going to dither about I'm going to make the bed I might end up seasoning chicken and doing a roast dinner Um, and and that too is okay well this is it this idea is something I'm really interested in at the moment and and you know the whole hormones element of that and I'm researching and, and just finding out lots because I'm just so fascinated by it and this idea that we've been sold that um consistency is the answer and it's kind of like um no how about just no yeah how about that you know as and I think it's a very it's it's come because we live in a patriarchal society you know everything is done on the terms of men Mm -hmm. in the way no hormonal changes cycle right so we as cyclical beings Mm -hmm. have a very different experience Mm -hmm. and I actually think that aiming for consistency is really damaging um and because you end up there were days when I'm just so distracted. I'm so foggy. Um, I have no creativity. Um, and what I just need to do is answer some emails, do some, you know, life admin, um, maybe do a bit of research, um, make some notes if I'm writing, writing about something. Mm -hmm. These are the tasks that I'm capable of doing on that day. And then there's another day, two weeks later where I am like a, 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 what's it called an x-man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i have superpowers yeah, like i yeah, am getting yeah. shit done yeah and i think on those days i am i am the equal of three men yeah who are working consistently there's this cartoon i can't remember what it's called and there's a and and the person changes into whatever and it's like i've got the strength of 10 tigers (laughs) and that is so so i want to throw a curveball in Mm. so um i did some work with um nicola ray wickham who is on instagram as a life more inspired and she met she helped me to Mm. rethink consistency so she said we're sold this notion well, she didn't say, I'm paraphrasing, but what she was saying is we've sold this notion that consistency is doing this thing every day or every weather. Mm. What if your consistency is that you do, every, one, one week of a month, you're dynamo? 
Mm-hmm. That's your consistency. Yeah. So with that cycle tracking and all of that, yeah. I've, a really coaching term, given myself permission to rethink how I think about consistency. So I know that from the end of my period until a couple of days after ovulation, I am dynamo. Mm -hmm. So I've even looked at things like planning my day retreats. Yes. When When, I'm in that period of time, big projects that I want to do, planning it in in that period of time. Yeah. And because I'm still attached to that output equaling value and all of that I have to log what I'm doing because in the other parts of the month where I'm still getting stuff done but I'm really slow or I'm just not getting stuff done I've got a reference point so I'm like Tamu sack off this indulgent oh I'm not doing enough you've done this this is your time to rest so I now understand that my consistency in my productivity is in this part of my cycle in my okay this is good enough is in that part of my cycle and let's write this motherfucker off and don't beat yourself up and how and for how long though and and I am absolutely certain that you know like there are going to be lots of of women who are still doing this because I don't think this is talked about enough and we're taught to be martyrs and we're taught to be martyrs and how long have have we oh I'm 38 I mean, for 37 years, the two weeks of the month, I've been telling myself I'm useless. Yeah, I've been telling myself I'm lazy for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Like, the the damage that does, really. Um, And I I just think it's such an underexplored topic. And I have no idea. Patriarchy. Well, yeah, well, exactly. And I have no idea how you tackle that within a sort of a traditional workspace because ultimately the traditional workspace is the problem mm-hmm. we are not the problem do you know do you know and we're made to feel like our lack of consistency in quotes mm-hmm. is a weakness and is a problem and actually if you look at the different phases of your cycle and and what you can get done in some phases in some ways that consistent that lack of consistency is a strength because you, you know when you are on you are you know, not on as in having your period, yeah, but yeah, when yeah. you are switched on, you are <laughs> on, on fire. You, know, you are all all light bulbs yeah. blazing. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's such a shame that it's not something that we talk about more. And I'm absolutely, I'm just researching at the moment. I'm fascinated. And I, what I do really want to do is find um, someone who works in a traditional work, uh, you know, a more traditional workplace who isn't a, a, a freelancer and who isn't a um, business, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. run their own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and find somebody who works in a, who who is trying to cycle sync yes. their workload yeah. Yeah. Um, because I would love to sort of find out how um, and so that's a, that's a sort of side project at the moment that I'm sort of that's really know, really interesting get, getting engaged in really interesting just, why not I'd love um, to see hear and see your <laughs> findings yeah I'm yeah just, it, automatically I'm thinking oh hell no because I can't imagine with even just from the thing about presenteeism I'm Mm -hmm. thinking employers are going to really and and the control thing are going to really struggle with Mm. somebody saying actually this week I'm going to be doing smaller projects Mm. because I just feel like the more you do the more they want so those two weeks that you're on fire they're going to think okay well now that's the standard that's the norm yeah yeah Yeah, that's where the bar is set yeah and I, I just think you know and it's such a 
taboo topic isn't it hormones like we're taught to laugh at them we're taught to, we're taught to mock them that yeah. whole idea of a pre-menstrual oh, PMS. PMS. Oh, she's on like, rag. you can't make any decisions because yeah. she's got pms yeah. She's, yeah. yeah and all of that that rhetoric around hormones and periods really upsets me because i'm like no this should be um you know aside from women include including myself who suffer with period pains and mm-hmm. I do suffer and you know in those those two weeks after ovulation I do go on a st- steady down tick mm-hmm. to a couple of days where I feel like absolute trash mm-hmm. um, and that's horrible and I know it's worse for some people so putting that aside uh, you know embracing the positives of that cycle um I mean hormones are chemicals brainer they're chemicals right and we don't it's not a, it's not a choice first and foremost exactly. we're not choosing to have these hormones that influence our um our behavior mm-hmm. my partner says <laughs> he always says which annoys me slightly he always says i'm a passenger to my hormones and i absolutely agree with him but i think i'm only a passenger to my hormones because of how the world is set up so if i can tweak that because i'm fortunate enough to work freelance Mm -hmm. if I can tweak that and be aware of it and and just remove at least that stick that I beat myself with um every month Mm -hmm. then that's a gain actually and I'm actually turning being a passenger into you know driving to (laughs) extend the metaphor too far but I'm I'm now no I'm not a passenger anymore I'm in the driving seat because I'm taking notice and and I'm going to use this to my advantage and and make life supportive to that rather yeah. than trying why, to contort yourself why shouldn't we do that exactly. I think that's and that's a big thing as well like then instantly the thought even then just saying that, that instantly the thought at the back of my head is like well not everybody can do that you know Nicola you know it's not that straightforward it's not that simple instantly is to sort of say to myself no like you're just you're being um uh, unrealistic or showing off or whatever it is and it's just not a realistic possibility Come on, um, if people well, don't I, think to themselves why why are we not doing anything about the fact that half of the population doesn't have the right to vote right. why are we not doing yeah. anything about the fact that slavery is wrong yeah. why are we not doing anything about the fact that there are yeah. laws that yeah. enable discrimination yeah. it's, it's it's shit so, like, so whenever anyone comes at me with it's never going to change. Hello. These things don't change. I'm like, oh, really? Really? Like, you, really? You really tell me that? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it might not change tomorrow. But, you know, if we work together to change these things that are quite clearly um, unjust, then over time they do exactly. change. They can change. And why would you? I, I don't understand. And it's such, a, it's such a blind spot for me. But I don't understand why you would choose to remain a passenger to that I, i'm like because we get conditioned and uncomfortable yeah. uh, the uncomfortable known can yeah. feel safer than yeah. the uncomfortable you yeah. know branching out into freedom yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah I mean, I mean i can point to about a hundred examples in my own life that mm. you know mm. that that proves mm-hmm, true mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah of course but it is it's i'm like god don't you see how much better things could be yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is it and this is it. going back to something we were talking about earlier about um you know when you're engaging with the way in which people are, um, are marginalized and the challenges that other people face and and staying 
not, 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 not having that drag you down. I think hope that actually things can change um, is part of just keeping going. That, yeah. that, you know, I, despite the things that don't surprise me, that horrify but don't surprise me, despite the things that happen, um, I still feel hopeful. I'm still optimistic that we can make things better. We have to, otherwise, yeah. what is the point? Yeah, what is that? I mean, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I'm not a hedonist. I don't just believe in pleasure in the moment and sod everything else. Yeah. Um, and I think when you really dig down, not many people do think like that. Um, Everyday joy is where it's at, mate. I think so. Mm. I think so. I think as soon as you start seeing those little moments, um, yeah, I think I think everyday joy is is the perfect um, phrase to describe it because you know it is stuff that happens every day, but mm-hmm. also it ties into that. We've been you know we're taught to see those things as mundane, and actually, just because they happen every day doesn't mean they're mundane. They and can still be really special. Alive. Yeah, and I just think to myself. The things that I have created from a space of everyday joy, I would not have been able to create that from a space of panic Mm. or that extreme high either. Mm. Um, I I would have had, I would have missed, and I'm not saying that isn't happening now, but I would have missed so many things when I was way up high or way down low. I just think that stable base of contentment that peaks and sometimes dips, um, but you're always coming back to this place of contentment is just it. a beautiful place to be a springboard to thriving really yeah. and those found you know they, if you have that foundation you have that baseline you can you know you can and you will drop below it but it's there you've you've worked on it yes. and it's there to come back to yeah um so you know it's mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's been a lesson worth learning mm-hmm. um and I, d- I do think that it's a recent lesson. Yes, you know? me too. I, I, me too. I, yeah, it's been a, so especially since having children, it's it's been a real roller coaster yeah. of, you know, introspection and reflection and looking at the world around me and, and sometimes feeling angry and sometimes feeling despair and sometimes feeling optimistic and um, and questioning and thinking, okay, well, my current state of, of relative contentment with my life, is that me falling into a some sort of trap where, oh, this is what they want you to think. And I think, no, because I can still, I can have this level, this baseline of contentment and still question and challenge all of the structures around me that I'd see as fundamentally unjust. Because contentment is not complacent. Yes. No. Okay. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So, Nicola, before we um, just head back into two and a half hour, Ville. I know. We better go, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) you made it your business to read more last year and you've got a stack of books that I I look at and I I don't I try not to think oh my gosh Nicola's reading all this stuff you want to read you're not reading um could you please share with us three books you read and uh or three books that you really loved reading and why yes um I used to read a lot of fiction. I don't read so much fiction anymore. So I'm going to I do read it and mm-hmm. I, I love it. And actually, oh my gosh, I've just reread for the first time in about 15 years, 
um, purple hibiscus ah. which are, yeah and I I was looking for my copy the other day and couldn't find it so I had to go and buy a new one and it is the most breathtaking book I just I haven't read that, you know. I feel like a charlatan. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, she's amazing, isn't she? Anyway, but um, that's her first novel, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's just glorious. Like it's heartbreaking, and Mm -hmm. it's you know, it's tragic, and it's disturbing, and it, and you know, but the the characters and the oh, it's just beautiful. I mean, it is incredible. So that's one fiction book that I would just highly recommend anyone Mm -hmm. who hasn't read it read, and then. Because I have been reading a lot of nonfiction, I suppose uh, The Good Immigrant, which Again, is the one edited by Neil Shukla, yeah. is just wonderful. And what I love about that is that I'm not an immigrant. And there were some stories in that that absolutely I had just, it was just, I was clueless. I was reading them thinking, I don't even know what this means, mm-hmm. like what they're talking about here. Um, and then there were other stories where, you know, I could see elements of, my experiences in terms of my family and certainly Ray's experience um because he moved here when he was seven um and you know so I could see I could really relate to those on a different level but what I love about it is that whoever reads it is gonna pick something different from it because it is all these voices all talking about being immigrants but from totally different perspectives um and it's just, yeah, it's brilliant. I, mean, I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose, what else would I... Oh, gosh, there's just so many that I've read recently that have really stuck with me. Um, what would I read? I suppose British, F. Hirsch, ah. if, if people haven't read that. Um, because, I mean, I read her Guardian columns and I just think she's... A, an amazing woman incredible mind yeah, inc- yeah. Ju- yeah just incredible and I think the way in which she unpacks and presents the idea of Britishness and her experience of Britishness and being from a mixed background growing up in a not just a white a majority white country but where she lived was mm-hmm. incredibly white mm-hmm. and she went to a pretty much all white school and for me, because my children are mixed, you know, it gives me a window into the sort of stuff that yeah. they might have, yeah, yeah. They, they might grapple with, they have yeah. to grapple with, um, and possibly even things to avoid, um, you know, things that she found in her upbringing that just weren't helpful and, you know, to, to inform the sorts of things that I do with, mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. with our kids. Children, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that's just, that's just brilliant. Um, I could go. I could go on and on. I've got. I, I can could, imagine. I, could ten. I, I know that you <laughs> wrote a post, so I'm going to link to that post where you talked about some of the. Books I did. That you I wrote. did. Um, yeah. Twelve. Twelve books of 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm on, on the. That. on my blog. Um, yeah. And some of those, I think, three or four of those are fiction, and the rest are nonfiction, and include, of course, becoming Michelle Obama's. <gasps> oh, oh. oh, my. Um. <laughs> Easy. Oh gosh. I mean, I just am drawn to you know strong women um, talking about their experiences, um, and then when you know when you feel like you can learn from someone that you're reading from, then that's obviously a plus. But when they're also so warm and and not hiding either, not they're not hiding. hiding. No, no. She's, like, she's not, not hiding. 
there is some stuff in there that she spoke about. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is vulnerable. Yeah. And there was one bit that really stuck with me. And I thought that I really relate to this. Um, she was driving in a car with her mum as an adult. She's got kids. She's talking about not being able to find purpose in her work. And her mum says to her, um, I think you should, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think you should worry about earning the money and then worry about the purpose later. And it was this, it was this curious, it was this curious, um, it's such a working class um, thought. Yes, there we go. Yeah. And, and then Michelle Obama, of course, I, I mean, cause we've talked before about being, uh, it's about socially sort of, yeah. um, what's it called where you were, you know, you uh, elevate, elevate. Yes, uh, 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 I know what you mean when you're going um, up the ladder. But, uh, yeah. 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 And, um, and it is, and, 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 and that's clear, you know, that's what she, I mean, she's ascended Literally, the ladder. <laughs> exactly. Flew. She's in the clouds. But, yeah. but, it, but yeah, you know, that, that, that mindset that her mom turned to her and just very, you know, very kindly said, um, you know, you should be thinking about the money, not about the purpose. Mm, mm. And, and I thought, yes, because, and, and you know, Michelle quite clearly struggled with that. Um, but ultimately came to the conclusion that the purpose is still important. Like if you, you know, that, you, that is, that is absolutely it, it underpins every, everything yeah. you're doing and every choice that you're making. Um, yeah. And I just, I really related to, and it was only a snippet. Yeah. And I just, and that's yeah, really, yeah. Me. Well, I've, but I've number four. So she's, yeah. she's number four. She's number four because she's, she's, uh, she's number one. Well, exactly. Well, I, I did think to myself, <laughs> I might have to move her up to number one. Chimamanda will have to go down to number Sorry. two. But, um, yeah, no, those are, um, purple hibiscus is definitely something that, um, cause yeah. I've decided that I'm going to make a concerted effort to read more fiction mm. because I think that it's <laughs> that escape is yeah. necessary for my yeah. brain not yeah. just all of this inquiry yeah. into the human existence yeah. um Nicola do you have anything coming up that people need to know about or how can people work with you yes I mean you know I don't have anything specific coming up I'm focusing at the moment on on writing and on trying to you know get into some sort of rhythm with the blog um and then last year I only wrote I think it was seven posts for the whole year so you know, trying to sort of take that up a notch um, and trying to get paid for my writing. So the social media stuff is still there, mm-hmm. but it's kind of taken, you know, it's there to, to earn money. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I'm not, I'm not pursuing that because I, you know, time is limited. Yes, got to make a choice. Indeed, indeed, um, so indeed. I don't have anything specific coming up at the moment, but people are always welcome to come and see me on, on Instagram and have chat and read whatever blog posts I put out is always welcome. You know, feedback from those is always, always very welcome. I will, I will definitely link there. (laughs) Which conversation was it? There was a conversation, a recent conversation I had where we talked about a blog post of yours, which I can't remember off the top of my head. And I linked it. Uh, what was it? I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is that she's got loads and loads of wonderful stuff on her blog. So do head over, tap the link in the show notes and, and have a look there and um, do connect with Nicola over at, on Instagram. And um, maybe you'll join me in the love for her mind. But do not try okay do not try any proposals to her brain or anything like that because i'm first in line 
first in line. Nicola, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank it's you for inviting me. It has. It's been lovely. And and I don't know how long we've been on for, but we we kept we kept it we down. We kept it down. We did it. By the time I add my intro and whatnot, it will be an hour and a half. And yeah. I think that's bloody brilliant for two <laughs> chatterboxes like us. <laughs> So thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll catch you up in the DMs. Yes, you will. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to 360 Conversations. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. I hope you found the episode useful. I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast. Like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms rule. Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.